Star Wars 7 by 7 episode 1440 today. Trench warfare. That's what we're talking about in regards to Solo, a Star Wars story. Punch it, Chewie. This is Bobby Roberts, formerly of Full of Sith. And you are listening to Star Wars 7 by 7 the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey Rebel Razor, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. So we're continuing our series of looks at Solo A Star Wars Story via the official guide from DK Publishing and today we are on to the second part of the deep dive entitled Trench Warfare which is all about Mimban and if you have been into Star Wars for quite a long time, you don't necessarily have to have been into Star Wars for quite a long time, but chances are if you have been like way back into the 70s then you're familiar with Mimban from Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the very first expanded universe novel by Alan Dean Foster that was supposed to be a low budget sequel to the original Star Wars if the original Star Wars didn't actually pan out as a tremendous blockbuster like it actually did but hey you know (laughs) nothing going to waste in the star wars universe and so that got used for splinter of the mind's eye instead and some of the stuff that was created conceptually for it was used for dagobah in the empire strikes back and mimban was even considered for use in rogue one but ultimately the planet jetta was developed for that purpose and so now we have mimban it looks like the folks in creative at Lucasfilm, I've been looking for a reason to get Mimbam on the screen as soon as possible, and they've finally done it. So that's sort of our first takeaway. We're going to do seven top takeaways from the Trench Warfare section of the official guide. And Mimbam's history, both just in the galaxy in general, in-universe, as well as our own experience of it as Star Wars aficionados, well, that's where takeaway number one is happening. And according to the guide, it has been the source of conflict for quote-unquote decades because of mining interests there. It was actually a site of conflict for the Clone Wars, and it had sided with the Galactic Republic, and the Republic had supplied it with arms to defend itself against the Separatists, but unfortunately, the Galactic Republic turned into the Empire, and Thankfully, I guess, for the Mimbanese, that's how you would refer to the natives of Mimban, they had been supplied with arms by the Republic, so they actually ended up turning those arms against the Empire, and that's why you see them fighting as reasonably well as they do, in addition to just being able to camouflage themselves very well, very scarily. So, I mean, that's a situation where they probably could have done a slightly different movie if they wanted to and scared the daylights out of the Imperial Troopers and almost turned it into a horror situation, but no, we just got a straight war movie kind of situation out of that segment of the movie. As for the Imperials themselves, this is kind of an interesting bit of coincidence, maybe, perhaps, this is our second top takeaway. It's the same division that is on the move on Mimbam attacking the Mimbanese and trying to subdue them as it was way back when it was the Galactic Republic supporting the Mimbanese against the Separatists. So it's the 224th Division, but it is now under the Empire, the 224th Armored Division that is fighting on Mimbam, though this time the 224th is fighting against the Mimbanese and not with the Mimbanese in this case. 
And we know it's the 224th, at least it was during the time of the Galactic Republic and the Clone Wars, because the first reference to Mimban now officially in canon is in episode 5 from season 1 of the Clone Wars cartoon series, where you get to hear somebody on Galactic Republic clone forces, radio, whatever it is, talking about the mud troopers on Mimban and the 224th and keeping your seals tight. So... There you go. That's how it rolls on Mimban. You got to keep your seals tight because otherwise you get trench foot. Yeah, that old thing from World War One. that kind of stuff is bad. So thankfully, the Imperials, at least for them, have some very powerful equipment that they are bringing to the fight. And I'm a Rebels guy, so, you know, like the Imperial stuff... Uh, on the one hand, I'm not rooting for them, but on the other hand, it just amazes me the level of creativity the folks behind Star Wars get to demonstrate every year now as <laughs> the way it's going. But in this case, things three, four, and five focus on three major new pieces of equipment that we get to see in the hands of the Galactic Empire. One of them is the ATDT, that is the All Terrain Defense Turret. Now, if you saw in, well, whether you've seen the trailer teaser footage or commercials or whether you actually saw the movie itself, you saw what looked like a scout walker either jumping or being dropped down or something happening. Well, it wasn't a scout walker. It wasn't an ATST. It was actually an ATDT. It was an all-terrain defense turret. And those things are dropped in the midst of battle by these other things called AT haulers. And that, of course, is the ship that got hijacked by Beckett and his gang for the purposes of trying to accomplish that train robbery. So AT haulers are actually somewhat old by comparison. You know, it's not the latest equipment, but it certainly gets the job done. It is designed to deliver all-terrain stuff into battle. So ATSTs, ATDTs, ATDPs, ATATs, you name the AT, the AT hauler is going to haul it. Now, the guide says that <laughs> this is a, a really funny way of, of thinking about things, that the Empire thinks that it's not going to be susceptible to theft because its navigational systems only have a few pre-programmed hyperspace jump points in it and they go to Imperial outposts. So they think, oh yeah, you know, nobody's going to steal this thing because the only place it can go is to these random places. Nah, thieves are going to figure out how to hack that, you silly Empire folks. Come on, really. And then the last thing, so that was the ATT for thing three, the AT hauler for thing four, and then we have the heavy tie fighter for thing five. That how that's how it was referred to in the stuff leading up to Solo: A Star Wars Story because we didn't know what to call it. The official designation is the tie slash R B. That's letter R and letter B is in boy. And the guide suggests that it might be referred to colloquially as the tie brute, but. I don't know, I see the R and the B, and I've been seeing Arby's ads, and I'm thinking, okay, it's the roast beef TIE fighter, you know, that doesn't look like roast beef at all, but it's the roast beef sandwich TIE fighter. That's how I'm going to just start thinking of it from now on. So next time you see it on screen, I would fully understand if you just suddenly yelled, we have the meats! <laughs> and... Well, that's probably enough about that, so let's move on to 6 and 7, and that 
would have to do with Han and Chewie. Now we get to find out what Han's rank in the Imperial Army was, and it was Corporal. He is Corporal Han Solo, and he was discharged from the Naval Academy for one going one transgression too far. That is how it's put in the guide, but we don't get any more details than that. He, of course, says it was because he had a mind of his own. Apparently, it was because he had a mind of his own one time too many, and so that's why he was drummed out of the Navy, but rather than waste all the time that they put into training him, they kicked him over into the Army instead. So now he is a mud trooper, or as they are more formally known, an Imperial Swamp Trooper. Yes, they are Swamp Troopers. That is the proper way to refer to these guys. Although Mud Troopers is pretty cool, but Swamp Trooper? Yeah, that sounds, oh, that sounds rough. And as far as Chewbacca goes, we get a little bit of his backstory now, too. So he apparently managed to escape the fate of his Wookiee brothers and sisters by not getting enslaved and shipped off to distant lands. But he's become a fugitive from justice, as, you know, the Imperials would define justice. And so he's looking for his people. And according to the guide, the reason why he was in a prison on Mimbam, well, that's because he was betrayed trained by a greedy bounty hunter. Now that is all you really get about it, but oh man, it opens the door to so much mystery. What did he have to do with a bounty hunter in the first place? And for it to be described as a betrayal, well, then that suggests that there was some sort of working relationship. So how's Chewie hanging out with bounty hunters? What's going on? Like, I mean, he is 190 odd years old at this point, so he's lived quite the life. I'm sure he's had many opportunities to meet all sorts of folk in the galaxy, including Yoda, by the way. So, yeah, I just thought that was a particularly intriguing statement. So he was he was basically turned into Imperial custody and the Imperials are like, you know, we can't bother sending this guy back to Kashyyyk. We've got other things to do. So they just stuck him in that mud pen and left him to rot. Not very nice at all. All right, that's going to do it for our look at Trench Warfare in Solo A Star Wars Story, the official guide. I'm going to take a quick break and then come back with Last Jedi Trivia. Stay tuned. Hey, Rebel Rouser. No sponsor on this episode today, so I just have a favor to ask instead. If you haven't done so already, please consider leaving a review for Star Wars 7x7 on your favorite podcast app. Not just a star rating, although I will say we are personally very proud of our near-unanimous five-star rating on iTunes. No, I just mean a thoughtful sentence or two about what you like about the podcast, or how happy you are that it's part of your daily routine. And more reviews means better visibility, which means more people get to share in a daily dose of Star Wars joy, and you want that, don't you? Of course you do. So please leave a review on your favorite podcast app today. I thank you, and the Star Wars 7x7 podcast thanks you. Welcome back. All right, last time I asked you what Captain Kennedy said when he realized that his dreadnought was about to go down. And again, another trick question. He said nothing. He just kind of gave it a stiff upper lip and was like, and didn't say a single word as he resigned himself to his fate. Today's question, though, somebody has already yelled the iconic Star Wars phrase, punch it! in the movie by this time, and I want to know who did. So tell me that, and that will do it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you get set up for your attack run, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'll be able to do even more with the show for you with your support at Patreon.com SW7x7. It's not three marks at 210, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.